Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. People who are in relationships where they feel controlled or dominated, treated with disrespect, treated as if they are children, resent it. As a matter of fact, those relationships may not yet be a major trouble, but if it continues, it will be. However, is it possible that some of the people who believe that they're being controlled in actuality are not? As a matter of fact, they're reacting to something that's not occurring at all. Or is it true? Could it be that you are in a controlling relationship where you are the one being controlled? Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Beam. Welcome to our program where we talk about marriage radio. Of course, we include other relationships as well. In this program, we wish to address people who feel they're being controlled. Next program, which will be next week, we want to talk to people who are controlling, or at least people whose spouses are telling them that you're controlling to see, are you? And if so, what do you do about it? Or if you're being maligned, if you really aren't being controlled, what do you, I mean, if you're really not being controlling, I should say, what should you do about that when your spouse says that you are? Our special guest on this program is Kimberly Holmes. Kimberly has a master's degree in psychology. She is also the chief executive officer of our nonprofit, Marriage Helper. She has a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, works with a lot of different couples as well as leading our organization. So, Kimberly, welcome to Marriage Radio. Thank you, Joe. Glad to be here. And when we talk about this thing called control, can we define it to begin with so that as we discuss it, people understand what we're talking about? You know that we have studied in the psychologies and in the social sciences that basically there are two different motives that people do things. One is called the approach motive. Could you explain that to people? The approach motive is basically saying that I am going to do this because I want to. It's something that I enjoy doing, something that that I want to do. For example, since we're talking about how this works in a marriage, we could say that me personally, when I make dinner every night for my husband, it's because I want to. He doesn't force me to do it. There's no negative consequence that comes if I don't do it, but I do it because I enjoy cooking for him. I enjoy us eating together in the evenings. So that's something we want to do together. So me cooking dinner would be an approach motive in that situation. Okay. And let's even broaden that some. It may not be something I necessarily want to do, but I do it because I believe it benefits me. So, for example, you uh, you like to eat right and you like to exercise. I imagine there's sometimes when you don't want to do that, but you do it anyway. Is that right? That is very correct. <laughs> and it's still an approach motive if you do it because you feel it benefits you in some fashion. So it can be something you want to do, or it might be some result that you really want to have achieved or accomplish, but it has to do with want to. Hmm. Now let's talk about another aspect of that, the other motivation. And that motivation is what we call uh, an avoidance motive. And what's an avoidance motive? The avoidance motive is when I avoid doing something or I don't do something because of the response that I fear might happen from the other person. So since we're talking about it in a marriage, I'll get to that in just a minute. But if we look at it from 
let's just say a normal everyday life kind of situation. If we're going down the interstate and maybe we're going 85 miles an hour, just maybe, that's probably more than the speed limit is. If it's one of my daughters, I'll guarantee <laughs> they're going 85 miles per hour. And we see a cop, then what we do is we put on the brake and we do that because we want to avoid getting a ticket. We are doing that to get away from the consequence or the punishment that comes from getting caught in that situation. So let's clarify a little then. Avoidance motive is not necessarily my avoiding doing something. It might actually be something that I do. And the reason we call it an avoidance motive is I either do it or don't do it, whatever it might be, because I'm trying to avoid the negative consequence that will come if I don't do it. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. Right. So... For example, if we went back to the dinner situation, if my husband every night was demanding that I cook dinner, and if I didn't cook dinner, there was some consequence that came about, whether he yelled at me or he gave me the silent treatment or there was something negative that came from me not doing that, then I'm going to cook dinner. But it's not because I want to. It's because I want to avoid his reaction on the other side of it. So an approach motive is when I do something because it benefits me in some fashion. An avoidance motive is when either I do something or not do something because I don't want the negative consequence that will come. And Kimberly gave a good illustration with that dinner thing, but it can get much more complicated than that because of the fact that we know that there are many people out there who are doing many things in their lives in a relationship because of avoidance motives. Now, as Kimberly well pointed out, we do, all of us do some things for avoidance motives, and that's okay, like slowing down when you see the highway patrolman. It's okay. But if a person does something for avoidance no motives regularly and often, for example, if Kimberly in her marriage, and, and her marriage is not like this, she was just illustrating, but if in her marriage she were continually doing things to make Rob happy because she wanted to avoid him yelling or arguing or giving her the cold shoulder or saying mean things to her or whatever else, and she was doing that all the time, or at least most of the time, then what's going to happen is she winds up not feeling very good about herself. She actually starts thinking, wow, maybe I don't have any value. Because if I'm not making this other person happy, if I'm not doing whatever he or she wants me to do, I'm treated so badly. And a person's self-esteem suffers dramatically. Oh, in addition to that, they wind up feeling pretty badly about the person that they're doing it with or for. And therefore, the relationship also suffers. Now, if you think, well, this is not a big deal, let's explain it to you this way. It's one of the biggest deals we see. We work continually and constantly with marriages in crisis. And one of the major things that will put a marriage into crisis is when one person is feeling controlled and dominated by the other person. They may take it for weeks, months, years. They may even take it for decades. But when finally they have had enough, when finally they feel that's just it, I, I am losing my identity, I can't live like this anymore, then marriage gets really, really bad, really, really fast. Often that's when we hear from one of the spouses, and typically the one we'll hear from is the one who has been controlling. And when they contact us saying, look, I didn't realize my marriage was in such trouble, can you possibly help us? Well, we will, and we'll do everything we can, but understand that Dealing with a situation like this sometimes is even more difficult than dealing with, say, infidelity. Right. And one of the reasons that that could be is because when an affair is going on, we would look at that and the people who maybe their marriage is affected by an affair, they look at that as an extenuating circumstance, so to say. 
That's something that if that weren't happening, if the affair partner were gone, if the affair weren't going on right now, then our marriage would have been fine. It would be fine now. We would be moving towards it. So the affair is something that's happening to the marriage. Whereas when you look at a controlling situation, control is something that's in the marriage. It's like if your house were to have mold and the mold just keeps growing, it's in it. It's infesting it. And the only way to get rid of that is to change something that's going on inside the home. And so when control is happening like that, we can see it. The person being controlled can see their controlling spouse is being the problem as opposed to having a problem that needs to be solved. And that's why we actually have a more difficult time helping people salvage marriages where one has felt controlled until finally they had it up to the proverbial here. And I'm not going to take it anymore. Then we actually we can actually have more difficulty dealing with that kind of a marriage, helping that couple work things out, believe it or not, than in working with a marriage where infidelity is involved, even if one of those people in the unfaithful situation feels that he or she is madly in love with the other person. Now that doesn't mean it can't be salvage. It can. It doesn't mean it is hopeless. It does mean that it's really tough. And therefore, if you are in a marriage that is controlling, whether you're the person doing the controlling or the person feeling control, you really should do something about it now. Because, because if you let it go long enough, when it finally hits that point where the person who's been controlled says, that's it, I'm not taking any more, I can't stand this anymore, then typically they are not very open to anything that might solve the problem for a couple of reasons. One is, I've had it for so long, I don't want to be in it any longer. Another is, I don't think he or she will ever change. I think this person's going to be like this forever. And why would I believe that the, something is going to be different? Why would I try to stay in this marriage? Why would I so, try to salvage this marriage when I just know what it's going to be like before? Kimberly, I'm thinking right now of a couple that came to our workshop, for example, um, 50-ish age range. And from the time they walked in the door on Friday morning until the time they walked out the door on Sunday evening, he dominated and controlled everything she did. I mean, to the point where that he told her what to think, he told her what to say, he told her what to do. And like when we would have a break, you know, okay, here's a break. Let's all go out for a few minutes, get a cup of coffee or whatever. When that kind of thing would happen, if she dawdled at all because she was speaking to the person sitting next to her or whatever, in front of everybody in a harshest tone, as if she were his lap dog as opposed to his wife, he'd say, look, we only have a few minutes. Come on over. Let's get this done now. And there were many times during the course of the workshop that she would just break into tears because of the way he embarrassed her in front of the other people, the way he dominated, the way he treated her as if she were a pet, an animal that must obey rather than a human being. We've also seen women do that toward their husbands. It's not exclusively a male thing dominating wives. We've seen women who have been ex extremely sarcastic. Uh, that who will raise all kinds of uh, misery if he's not doing everything she wants him to do. With women, at least in experience that I've had, it seems that if they're controlling or dominating, one of the tactics they really like to control the other person is I'll embarrass you in front of other people. And they use that to get their way. And the husband winds up doing things for the avoidance motive. I am avoiding the pain I'm going to have of being embarrassed in public, so I'll just do what she wants me to do. I'll act like she wants me to act. 
But they can also do it other ways, the same kind of ways we talked about earlier, by being mean, by being angry, by all kinds of different things. And God forbid, sometimes by their own physical strength, and not just from the men's side, but from the women's side as well, like, you will be afraid of me. You'll do what I tell you to do because you realize that I might physically hurt you if you don't. So, Kimberly, we started off by saying many people who feel they're being controlled in actuality are, but sometimes a person feels he or she's being controlled when in reality they aren't. Mm-hmm. And just to clarify, we're not, this episode, this podcast episode, isn't trying to make problems where there's not problems. I know that we're talking a lot about how severe control is and how it's a problem that needs to be addressed, but there's also varying levels of it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But what Joe was just saying was, what about the people who feel like they're being controlled even though they're not? I've seen this even just recently with um, a couple that, that I know where the wife had been very controlling for a long, extended amount of time. And then all of a sudden, the husband who had been controlled he starts to stand his ground and stand up to her and not do everything that she wanted him to do when he when she wanted him to do it. And her response is, well, he's controlling. He's not doing what I want him to do. And in, mm-hmm. and in that sense, that's not the case. That's not what's happening. It's a controlled person who's trying to become an equal in the relationship again. So we tend to look at it in terms of What's the motivation? What's the reason for the action? Is it because I'm trying to do something that benefits me? If that's the case, then you're really not being controlled. Or am I doing this because I'm trying to avoid the negative consequence from the other person? Then, indeed, you may be being controlled if that consequence in actuality exists. For example, a couple of years ago, I had some knee surgery, and my wife Alice had foot surgery within a few days after that. It was in the wintertime. We both love a real fire in our fireplace. And she happened to mention I'd love to have a fire in the fireplace. And I wasn't supposed to pick up anything. As a matter of fact, I was hobbling around trying to protect this knee. Yet, I thought, oh, my goodness, she wants that fire. And so I actually went out and gathered up the firewood, came back in and built a fire. And I kept one going for a few days, bringing more and more wood in, which re-injured my knee. <laughs> caused me a lot of pain. And I was talking to a friend of mine who was a counselor not too long after that. And and saying how upset I was that Alice had made me do that. And my counselor said, wait a minute. I thought you said that you did it because you wanted a fire and you wanted her to have a fire. And I said, yeah, but if she hadn't asked me for a fire, and she said, wait a minute, did she bring about any negative consequence if you didn't? I said, no, she just wanted a fire. So you did it because you wanted to make her happy, not because you were avoiding any negative consequence on her side, right? Yes, she didn't control you. She didn't dominate you. She didn't disrespect you. You did what you did because you wanted to. It didn't turn out well, and now you're blaming her for it. So stop it. Therefore, if you're a person who's trying to make your spouse happy all the time because you think that'll make you feel good, and in turn it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean your spouse is controlling. It could be coming from within you. Or, as Kimberly just well pointed out, It's amazing, Kimberly, how many times we see a person who is the controlling person who says that the other person's the one who's doing the controlling. Mm -hmm. And almost always what that means is he or she isn't doing all the things I want them to. They've stopped doing what I tell them to do. 
Well, that means I'm being controlled. Mm, no. So our general definition here is working from the motivation. Is it an approach motive? I do the things I do because it benefits me in some fashion. Or is it a, an avoidance motive? I'm doing this because I'm trying to avoid a negative consequence. So let's assume that's the case, Kimberly. Let's assume that we're now talking from this point on in the program with people whose spouses really are creating a lot of negative consequences. Now, understand, anybody might do this on any given day, but that does not necessarily make him or her controlling. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a pattern, a lifestyle, where this person really wants to tell you what to think, what to do, what to feel, all those kinds of things, even what to believe. And if you don't think, do, believe, feel what they want you to, then they argue with you until you finally you're just beat down and give up. Or they say mean things to you. Or they say judgmental things about you. Or they attack you in some fashion. Or they give you the cold shoulder. Or, God forbid, they use their physical strength and size against you. Or they control the money so you can't do things without their permission. In those kind of situations, Kimberly, where it actually exists, and we know that this marriage, if they don't fix this, is in all likelihood going to wind up in great problems, even if they think, well, I can tolerate it. Few people do for a lifetime. What then do these people need to do, the ones who feel that they are being controlled? Well, the first thing that we do is we look to try and understand why the other person is controlling. One of the acronyms that we use that describes three reasons that people could try to control is something called FAR. The F stands for fear. A person can control out of fear. It might be fear that you might leave them, or it could be fear that you are going to do something that will hurt you or hurt someone else. And so out of this fear, they try to control what you do. Now that fear, if it's a fear of that they are scared that you're going to leave them, then that could stem from something that happened earlier in their life. Maybe there was a divorce that their parents went through or someone in their life early on left them. And so they have that fear of abandonment. And so out of that, they try to control you not leaving because it causes pain to think about someone leaving them. So that might be one reason they're controlling. The A stands for arrogance. And that's when a person tries to control because they believe that they are smarter than you or they know more about something than you do. And some of the examples are things that Joe was talking about. You know, I know who you should vote for. I know what you should do. I know these things. I'm smarter than you. Therefore, you need to do what I tell you to do. Or they just want their way. It's like or I want things to go like I want things to go. And then the R stands for rigidity. And here we're talking about when a person's beliefs or and values are so strong in their life that they believe you have to do what they believe and what they value, the way that they interpret that in order to be good enough for them. Okay, and if you're not doing it, then they'll accuse you of all kinds of things. We saw a couple, for example. She was a pretty good business person that was doing quite well. He had failed in, I don't know, two or three businesses already. And he was telling her that she, because she owned her business, that she should uh, do what he told her to do about her business. She pointed out to him that she was a better business person than he. And he started quoting scripture about how the wife should submit to the husband and how he was the head of the house and all those kind of things and saying, therefore, you must obey me. You must do what I say because the Bible says that because I'm the husband, I am the head and you will submit to me. 
And she was saying, you're going to bankrupt us. I'm not going to do that. And so he accused her of being ungodly and said, if you continue this ungodly life like this, oh, and by the way, he never, ever started arguing with her, constantly trying to convince her to beat her down. You understand that after a while, some people actually will give in to those arguments, but it's not because they saw the brilliance of what you were trying to say. It's because they want to avoid any more pain that comes from hearing that all the way. And so there he was using his belief and value system saying, and we have this rigidity because this is what you must do because God told you to do that. By the way, she went to many religious leaders. She even got him to go to some of them and said, is that really what the Bible says? And <laughs> they were unanimous in saying, no, he's pretty well taking those verses out of context. You know, nobody has the right to lord it over another, even a husband over a wife. Remember that Peter would say to the elders of the church, don't lord it over the flock. Even God doesn't make you do things. He gives you choices. And so, no, he's twisting scripture. But from his rigidity, he was going to dominate that no matter what and told her that she was committing adultery in the sense that she was breaking the marriage vow if, he di if she didn't yield. And then he was going to divorce her for that, which, by the way, he eventually did. A couple of other reasons that people might control is because perhaps they feel out of control in other circumstances that are going on in their life right now. So for example, if there's something going on in work where it's not going the way they want or in their extended family or anything else in their life where they just feel like things are out of control, things are happening to them that shouldn't be happening to them and they just feel like they can't get ahead, they can't get a break then since they feel out of control in so many other areas of their life, they can turn to their marriage and start trying to control because they feel like that's the only thing they can control. It doesn't make it right, but it's definitely something that we've seen happen multiple times. And another thing is a person's upbringing. If they saw their parents in a controlling marriage, then perhaps they are basing how marriage should be off of what they witnessed growing up. And that makes a difference in how someone enters their marriage and how they believe a marriage should be. And an interesting phone call on a live radio program I was doing uh, a few years ago in WLAC, Nashville, Tennessee Music Row. Guy called in and said that he was still single and probably always would be because he didn't trust women based on his mom. And I said, what did mom do? Well, my mom actually went to see, she was Catholic. My mom actually went to see her priest and talked about her marriage Therefore, my mom betrayed my dad by telling the priest certain things and asking the priest for advice. My dad threw a fit and said, son, that's just how women are. They won't obey. Hmm. They go and talk to somebody they have no business talking to, even her priest. <laughs> and he said, therefore, I don't want to ever be married. I don't want to be with a woman because you just can't trust them. So he learned it at home from a dad who was dominating and controlling. And because he couldn't find a woman who would let him do that to her, he was going to be single. Right. And knowing these things doesn't stop the other spouse from being controlling. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, what is the point of trying to start here and understanding why the other person controls? See, she just did something. I usually throw those questions at her. <laughs> <laughs> and she headed me off of the past by throwing that question at me. Here's why. Because if you see the other person is evil, then you're going to react to them as if they're evil. You see, once I vilify another person, I can justify anything I say about them, anything I do concerning them. 
And if you want to make your spouse into an evil person like that, you can justify a lot of stuff, a lot of sometimes even bad stuff, including, okay, I'm done with you. I'm going to divorce and move on. Now, understand that some people who are controlling are doing it to the point where it's to your detriment, and there may be some times when you have to do something like that. And it, is it possible that you are married to a person who's truly evil at heart? Yeah, it's possible, but it's not likely. And so what we're trying to point out to you here is do your best not to vilify the other person, but try to understand what's going on with him or her. Now, one is so you don't treat them badly. And number two is, as we move into the next point, it fits with that, so that you don't think too badly of you. If you can understand why the other person's doing it, then part of that would be having better self-esteem about yourself. Because if you don't really know why he or she's doing it, there might be a little piece of your mind thinking, well, it's me. I'm just not a good person. I don't do the things I need to do. And so therefore, some of this is my fault. But if you're going to deal with control, you've got to change that attitude. That's right. The thing that we see many times of people who are controlled in these situations is that they lose a lot of their self-esteem and they don't feel worthy. They don't feel good enough anymore. And so one of the things, the second thing after you understand, seek to understand why your spouse may be doing it is to understand and decide that you are worth standing up for. You are a good person. You are a person who deserves to be in a relationship that is equal to equals and not a relationship that is one person controlling another person. And when you start by accepting yourself as you are and loving yourself in a healthy way as you are right now, then you can also from there realize that you can only control you in this situation. You can control the way that you react to your spouse. You can control the things you do. One of the things we talk a lot about at Marriage Helper is something called the pies, which is physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual attraction. When you accept yourself and you feel good about yourself, then you can work on your pies and you can continue to feel even better about yourself and realize that your self-worth, even when your marriage is going well, your self-worth shouldn't be based on the way that your spouse is treating you or the way that you feel your spouse is acting towards you, because that's never going to be good every single day. Okay, so if you're going to be able to stop the other person controlling you, you have to believe in you. Mm -hmm. And so if, let me make sure I'm understanding this correctly. It doesn't come from you then saying, am I good enough? But you're evaluating yourself and saying, look, I, I have value and worth. I may not do things perfectly. I may not see things everything the way I should. I may not do things everything the way I should. But I'm worthwhile and valid to begin with, and I don't deserve to be treated like a child. Mm -hmm. So you have to accept that about you. Now, so what if, Kimberly, you've got a master's degree in psychology. What if I'm having trouble with that? What if I believe that I really should be controlled or dominated because I think I'm not as smart as I should be or as educated as I can be? Should How can someone help me or how can I help myself get that right self-esteem to begin with so I can have the strength to stop the other person from treating me as a child. Mm. If I were sitting down at coffee with a person who had that mindset about themselves, one of the first questions I would ask would be, when did you first start feeling that about yourself? 
because from my experience, people typically don't just think that. There's usually something that happens in their life that leads them to believe that about themselves. And it could be so early that it's hard for people to remember it, but it might be something that maybe a mother or a father or a friend when you were younger said to you that just really hurt you. And now you don't have that that mindset about yourself of, I am good enough. So going back and... So it might even precede you guys having met each other. Yeah, absolutely. It could precede that. And, you know, that's actually uh, a lot of times when you hear people who say that they go from relationship to relationship and it always goes bad and it's it's never good and there's always someone hurting them. A lot of times when we look at it, like people, for example, who keep entering physically abusive relationships and there's a pattern, a lot of times there's something that happened when they were younger that led them to believe they weren't good enough. And so there's, they keep allowing these situations to happen. And I hate to use that word allowing because I don't think they consciously do it. But But in actuality, they do. But in actuality, they do. And so starting back and realizing where it stemmed from would be a great first place to start. But even then, just knowing where it stems from isn't going to make a change, but it will help you to start to see, I did learn this from someone. And then there, and then thinking about all the other places in life, what else have you done? Who else in your life thinks good things about you? Who else in your life supports you, stands up for you? Different things like that to move towards having a healthier self-esteem. Okay. So it may precede you meeting each other, but some people will look back and realize that they've only stopped believing in themselves, having no awareness of self-concept, of believing good about me, I'm worthwhile, I'm valuable, sometimes it will tie back to your marriage. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, again, it's not necessarily a good thing to vilify your spouse about it. It's a matter of saying then, okay, let me evaluate me. So Mm -hmm. I guess some people might need to go see a therapist, a counselor to help them start believing in themselves again. Yes. But be careful because... (laughs) Because... If you do go to a therapist or counselor and you start telling them about the things happening in your marriage, very well could be that they start telling you that you need to get a divorce because you need to be happy. And while you need to be in a place where you think good things about yourself and that you're a healthy person, that doesn't mean that that's going to happen just because you divorce your spouse. Mm -mm, Not at all. Now, I guess maybe we should insert this here. Maybe I should have actually said it earlier. Is it possible that your spouse might be doing things very damaging to you? Is it possible that you may need to get away from him or her? And the answer to that is yes. Sometimes the abuse, particularly physical abuse, but it can also be mental, emotional, spiritual abuse. Sometimes the abuse is so devastating to you that you need to get help. Now, if that's the case, there is a website we recommend to you. It's called www.com thehotline.org. That's T-H-E-H-O-T-L-I-N-E, thehotline.org. You're saying, okay, what what kind of website is that? It's actually designed for abused women, and I realize that some of the people listening might be men who are being controlled. That site's particularly for women, although I'm assuming they have resources that'll help men as well. But if you're being physically abused or even intently mentally and spiritually or emotionally abused to the point where that it's devastating where you can't live like that there are people that will help you with that but what we're in and again the hotline t-h-e-h-o-t-l-i-n-e dot org is a place to call for that kind of help but Kimberly mostly what we see 
is that most people actually could overcome these things if they started believing in themselves, if they perceived, okay, my spouse is controlling for this reason, not because he or she is evil. And if that's the case, what are some specific things that they can do? Well, I'm thinking of a couple of situations of just women per, uh, that I've seen at the workshop or in other areas of people that we've worked with. And this is, this is going, I'm reading notes right now, but this is going a little bit before the notes, but even just thinking in, in terms of why people control and what to do in going forward and making it different is sometimes there's people who control because they feel like the other person isn't making, doesn't make decisions or doesn't, can't make decisions. I remember there was one person in our workshop who the husband felt very controlled because the wife would make decisions and she would make decisions, but then she would say, well, it's because he wouldn't or because he wasn't going to. And what it really boiled down to was a communication issue, an issue where they weren't talking. They didn't understand how to relate to each other. And so just in going back to talking about that that second point we made of deciding that you're worth standing up for and don't letting and not letting fear stop you from what you need to do is also realizing that there might be a time and place to just make sure that you and your spouse are on on the same page that you're communicating that if you can make a decision that you tell your spouse I'm able to make this decision myself I don't want you to think that you have to make it for me I'm able to do my own things. I'm able to have a backbone. I'm able to do those, do that. I think that's very valid. Let's kind of back up one step from that. Don't, don't forget what Kimberly said. That's all very good stuff. The first step, I guess, might would be this, just before that. Make a decision as to whether or not you're going to allow things to continue as they are or if you're going to do something about it. Now, if you're saying, uh, you know, it's not that bad. I can live with it. I'm just going to leave it like it is. Okay. If that's what you choose, that is a choice that is certainly yours to make. But if you make a decision, oh, you know, I really do need to do something about this, then then sit down. This is what we recommend. Take a piece of paper and write out, what do I need it to be like? What decision am I going to make so I can stop feeling controlled with this? And then kind of make a plan about, okay, how am I going to pursue this? How am I going to go at it? Now, put that that Kimberly just talked about into that plan. So one thing might be, okay, the first thing we're going to do is sit down and talk about it. I'm going to tell my spouse I'm feeling controlled. Understand now, there's a secret here. <laughs> Counselors teach it. Active listener coaches teach it. Basically, is if you say you're controlling, then the other person usually becomes defensive, doesn't hear everything you have to say, becomes uh, tries to explain himself or herself, or maybe even winds up attacking you. And so it's better if you don't set up a situation where the other person becomes defensive by saying you're controlling, let me tell you how. To be better if you, once you make this decision, okay, do you need to do something? Make the decision. You've already decided that you're worthwhile. We talked about that earlier, that I have value, that I deserve to be treated as a valid and viable human being. I am not perfect, but I am also not deserving to be treated like a child. You've made that decision. You've also made some kind of decision about, you know, who your spouse is, why he or she is doing this. If you decide that they're evil and scary, you know, maybe your decision just to get out. If you decide, no, it's because he learned this from his dad or she learned that from her mom or because of the situation that he or she's in, whatever. When you make this decision, yes, I'm going to do something, and you start writing out the plan that we're talking about, 
hear what she just said, where you sit down and you talk to your spouse and say, let me tell you how I'm feeling. And as Kimberly said, then you start exploring communication. If you were to say, you know, it bothers me that you make decisions that we should be making together. And if your spouse says, well, yeah, but you just don't make the decisions. Well, as Kimberly just talked about and explained it very well. Let's talk about that. Let's find a way to communicate where that, that's not happening. But you're making some kind of a plan of what you're going to do and how you're going to approach it with your spouse so that you can deal with this. And the plan might sometimes have to involve a counselor or a therapist. Again, we're pro-counselors and therapists who are good at what they do, but we're very afraid of the others. Or our workshop. Yeah. As a matter of fact, explain how our workshop might help there. At our workshop, the second most common thing that we see that affects marriages are these issues where there's a controlling spouse. And one of the amazing things that happens at our workshop is that we talk about relationship principles that work no matter what happens. So even the spouse who's been feeling controlled or the spouse who is controlling, they can start to see things in a different perspective. Um, Every single workshop, there's many people who didn't realize that they were controlling. But from the things that we talk about, the principles we discuss, they start seeing the things that they're doing that are being controlling and they start realizing they need to change. But the reason it's so helpful that they hear it coming from us as opposed to their spouse is because we tend not to believe things our spouse tells us is wrong about us. <laughs> yep. And sometimes it's just easier to hear from third party. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody out there has had an experience where your spouse heard somebody say something and turned to you and said, hey, that's brilliant. And you think, oh, I have mm -hmm. said that a thousand times. Exactly. But sometimes they hear from another voice. Just this past weekend, Kimberly, we had another workshop. Several different people, not just men, but women, actually made that statement to me at some time during the weekend. I didn't realize how controlling I was. I didn't realize the things that I was doing that's controlling the other person and when they have that aha, and the other person, the other person, the one who's feeling control or have, has felt control, you can just see them light up like, oh my goodness, maybe he or she's getting it. Mm -hmm. So here's the third part of that thing then. Remember, the first part is you're going to make a decision as to whether or not you need to do something about this. You've already decided that you have value, that you're worthwhile, that you can stand up for yourself. Okay. And now you've tried to evaluate your husband or wife. As we've talked about, I'm being a little redundant here. And then you sit down and make a decision. Okay, is this something I need to do something about or not? All right. Then you write down, okay, what are the things that must change? Understand there's a difference in the things you want to change and the things that must change. Sometimes you just need to give up on the things you want to change because they're just not that big a deal. Write down the ones that really are. Start with those. Here's what must change. It must be that you don't use your physical strength to intimidate me. That's a must. Or it must be that you don't control the money to try to control me. That's a must. You don't do those kinds of things. It must be that, that I'm not going to operate primarily out of a motive of avoidance. I don't want to live like that anymore. Sometimes I'll do things from avoidance motive because sometimes that just happens in life. But I want it to be that I'm doing what's called self-determination, that I can think for myself. I feel responsible for my own actions. I can make my own decisions. And therefore, I want to live in a life where I don't feel dominated, but I feel treated as an equal. Now, once you do that and you start explaining it to your spouse again, hopefully not attacking him or her, 
because that's just going to make things worse. You're going to have a fight. It's not going to accomplish anything. As you explain those things, you also must then enforce those things. And the real key here is to not become controlling yourself. Many times when people have been so controlled, they flip the switch and they do a 180 degree turn. And then they sometimes do become controlling. They start implementing punishment and negative consequences to their spouse if they won't change, which is a very thin line to walk because boundaries need to be implemented. But how can you implement boundaries when you also don't want to implement punishment? You're right. And sometimes that can be tough. So you may want to consider what resources are out there. For example, as Kimberly just said, we, we, it's the second biggest reason that couples come to our workshop for Marriages in Trouble, uh, Marriage Helper 911. And if you're not familiar with that, go to our website, marriagehelper.com, marriagehelper.com. Or if you just want to go ahead and call right now and talk to one of our reps about it, you can do that at 615-472-1161. That's 615-472-1161. That's one resource out there available to you. We also have marriage coaches that can work with you. You say, what do you mean? Well, to make sure that you don't cross that fine line she just talked about. Should there be boundaries in situations? Absolutely. Sometimes should there be criteria? The difference, by the way, in a boundary and a criteria is a boundary saying this is something that must not happen. And a criteria is something that this must happen. You can actually find out more about that by going to either iTunes or Google Play and find one of our podcasts. It's free. called The Definitive Guide to Boundaries. And I can explain those things to you if you'd like to listen to that. But back to what Kimberly said, it can be a fine line. And so we have resources like our workshop. We have many articles and et cetera on our website. But sometimes you might want to have a marriage coach, a person that works with you via phone or Skype or FaceTime, who can help you think through, oh, no, you're actually kind of crossing your own line there. That's not a boundary or criteria. That's actually you now becoming the controlling person. And it's easier to hear that from an objective third party who's a professional that we have mm -hmm. trained. Now, we're not talking about we train counselors. These are our marriage coaches that we've trained. Then it is to hear from the other person. I had someone, I either read it in one of the Facebook groups or something like that, but the other day they said, I feel like my you know, my spouse has been controlling, and I feel like if I do try and talk to them or try to implement any boundaries, that it will just be completely hopeless because we're separated right now. We're not even living together. And so I feel like I don't have a leg to stand on. I feel like I have nothing that I can do to try and, and move the relationship forward. What would you say to a person in that situation? Well, sometimes it is a little scary because it's like, if I do this, then all hell is going to break loose. Mm -hmm. That's why you're still going to make that decision. Am I, am I worth it? And is this a situation that is, you know, causing me enough pain, causing me enough difficulties, either for me and or for my children, that I've got to do something that sometimes you have to make that decision and do it anyway. Now, like we said, go ahead and listen to that podcast on the Definitive Guide to Boundaries about boundaries and criteria to make sure you understand what those things are. Uh, but sometimes in life you have to do something that's a little risky because of the fact that if you leave it like it is now, it's definitely going to turn out badly. Did I answer the question you asked, or did I not understand the, the core of the question? I believe you answered the question that I asked. 
one of the things to consider, you know, we talked about not becoming controlling when you're trying to not be controlled anymore. But another thing to consider is doing what we call the gentle strength. The I'm going to be strong and be confident in what I when I talk to you and the things that I'm going to request of you. But since I do want the marriage to work out, since I want to move forward with us getting help and getting better, I'm not going to do things that are going to ruin the marriage in the process. So letting your spouse know, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to be revengeful or I'm trying to be mean. I love you. I want this to work, but this is what I'm going to need in order for us to move forward. Right, because, and you can explain, this is what I feel. I feel that my value has been diminished. I feel sometimes that I'm not worthwhile and so forth and so on. I'm not trying to blame that on you, but I'm saying that some of the things you do contribute to that, and I'm asking you to help me. Hopefully, he or she will respond, hopefully. If they don't, then you may have to do the boundaries, those kinds of things. But you see, it's really down to two things. Either you keep letting it happen until finally you die miserably, or finally you explode and say, that's it, it's over, I'm out of here, or you go ahead and do something about it now. We've given you many criteria to look at as to how you can put it together. We've not given you a detailed plan because every situation is so uniquely different. The general principles we're teaching here are valid. Our coaches can help you work through step-by-step if you want to do that, or if you prefer to go see your own counselor, obviously you can do that. Just make sure, as Kimberly said earlier, that your counselor doesn't help you find the easy path. Like, well, why don't you just go ahead and divorce him and go live on your own? Or divorce her and go live on your own? We work under the assumption that you want to make your marriage work. It's not always going to be easy. But sometimes it takes strength on your part. Once you've made this decision, this is worthwhile, this is what I need to do, these are the criteria, all the things we've talked about so far, I'm going to explain it to my spouse and I'm going to enforce it to my spouse If we can help you, we will through all of the free materials we have on our website, uh, through the podcasts that are on iTunes and and Google Play, just look for Marriage Radio, etc., through our coaches, through everything that we do. But you see, it really comes down to you making a decision. Am I going to let it stay like this, or do I need to do something? And if so... We also have a free ebook for anyone who's listening. If you want even more about control and how you can work towards it and some of the things we've talked about in written form, you can go to your, Y-O-U-R, dot marriagehelper.com slash control, your dot marriagehelper.com slash control, and you can just enter your email address and you'll get that sent to you immediately. And that's a free resource, right? Absolutely. So it's a free resource. Now, say it a little slower. I want to make sure I heard that. Your, Y-O-U-R. Dot Marriage Helper. That's Marriage Help, E-R, Marriage Helper dot. Com slash control. Just the word control. Just the word control. Does it make any difference if I capitalize or not capitalize? I don't think so. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's your decision to make. But I would hope, I would truly and honestly hope that you wouldn't live in misery And that if you really are being controlled, that you take advantage of the things we're talking about, that you do these things. Maybe the question you should ask yourself is this, Do I want to live like this any longer? If it's okay, if you're happy, (laughs) if it's not a big deal, then yeah, go ahead. But if it really is ripping your heart out, it's destroying your soul, destroying your self-esteem, etc., 
Do you really want to live like that any longer? Will you allow fear to rule you? The fear that your husband or wife might leave you. Now, we hope they don't. Our whole marriage helper nonprofit is designed to try to help people solve their marriages and uh, solve their problems and save their marriages. But at the same time, we don't encourage people to live in fear. Fear of the other spouse and what they're going to do, the cold shoulder, the anger, the mean words, or even to live in fear that they may leave you if you stand up for yourself and quit being in control. Are you ready to take the risk to make your life better? Well, I hope that you do because it can change everything. I love it when somebody finally gets it. Typically, we see this at a workshop because that's the exposure we have to people and they finally get it and they change it and we get a letter from them or, or they call us back or they get into one of our Facebook, group, uh, Facebook groups a few months or weeks, actually sometimes even a year or two later, saying it was so miserable before, but I'm so glad that I did these things because now I feel like a human being again. I feel like an adult. I feel cherished. I feel loved. Whereas one woman said it to me one time, I now finally know what it feels like to be truly and honestly loved. Not controlled, not dominated, not treated like a child, but be loved for who and what I am. Therefore, we hope you do it. By the way, our next program might be one of the resources you want to use because our next program that will be on next week will be aimed at the person who is controlling, helping him or her understand what they're doing and the effect that it's having. Kimberly, thank you for being on our program. Thank you, Joe. And we'll see all you guys, if you will, next week on Marriage Radio.